All right, Justin, sing me a song about box office numbers. Uh, wow. Yeah, you're not getting out of this one. <laughs> about box office numbers. Uh, if you give up, I actually do have something you could have sang. Man, all this all this wrestling talk prior to the podcast, I'm I'm damn near tempted to sing the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> Because it's all about that money, man. Money, 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 money. Everybody's got a price. Because it's all about that money, man. Well, that was not the song I was thinking of, but damn it if you don't know how to get me to agree to something. <laughs> you ain't gonna... Yeah, man, that's your boy, man. You can't, you can't deny the million dollar man. I mean, I haven't really watched wrestling in a very long time, but you bring in the million dollar man, I'm a sucker. He's just my all-time he right, favorite. Though. Yeah. He was right, though. Everybody's, Everybody's got that got price. price. Everybody's got one, man. Don't act like you don't out there, listeners. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> and, as, and as listeners will find out, when it comes to our movie-watching habits, we all have a fucking price. That's for damn sure. Man. All right, let's start this episode. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and I am joined by Justin, and we are going into a severely weird deep dive into the box office numbers of Star Wars and Marvel movies. Um, there will be a link in the description of this episode that will take you to a Google Drive spreadsheet I've created uh, with these box office numbers. Uh, we've got the domestic box office domestic box office adjusted for inflation, the worldwide box office, and that also adjusted for inflation. Well, it's the worldwide total, I should say, not the world box office. It's still got uh, the domestic calculated into it. But no, we're just going to talk about a lot of different things with that because me and Justin one time, this was before, this was pretty much right in the middle of Avenger Endgame's run. And we were talking about like how much money the Marvel movies have made. And then we talked about like, well, like how much money have the star Wars movies made? So at the time when we first started talking about this in game, wasn't done with its run yet. Uh, Spider-Man far from home hadn't come out yet. And neither had uh, star Wars rise of the Skywalker. And so we we're talking about that. And we just, and I, I came up with this spreadsheet and I did a shit ton of math having to go and find uh adjust in, uh to adjust these for inflation. Because with some of these movies, um, all our numbers are from Box Office Mojo. I should go ahead and say that. And some of these movies, if they weren't really high grossing with uh, adjusting for inflation and stuff like that, they weren't on their list. So I had to go find the uh, inflation percentage from when these movies came out to now to do all this. Some of these numbers might be just a tad old. And by that, I mean, what, last summer? Summer of 2019? But... I mean, for the most part, inflation's not going to really affect that much in less than a year, you know. So, um, yes, this, you'll have access to the spreadsheet so you can see all our math and all this other stuff. But I guess to start this off, um, Justin, when you look at this spreadsheet, what what is the one number on the spreadsheet that just jumps the fuck out at you as, holy fuck, that's the number? 
Well, just looking at this, um, this, this entire spreadsheet, and man, this is uh, really interesting. Just before I get into those numbers that jump out, uh, just to kind of provide some context, like anytime you're thinking about box office numbers and everything, it's really amazing looking at something like this and making comparisons and seeing uh, what the difference is as far as like worldwide, uh, as far as box office and then what it is to be adjusted, adjusted for inflation, because it's very interesting to see uh, kind of with the rising of ticket prices and just things like that in today, today's time versus what tickets were back then when these uh, box office numbers were being recorded and how much of a difference that makes and how much of uh, and and what it says about kind of our trends as a society, what we're watching and everything like that. Another great thing thing that it also indicates is international grosses and box offices because, man, it's crazy how much the foreign markets have to do with a film's success, which I don't want to go into too many tangents. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit too. But all of this is fascinating stuff, or at least it was to us, just looking up things and looking at numbers and making comparisons. So whenever it came to the MCU, we were sitting there thinking about Endgame and how it was on the cusp and it hadn't reached it at this time, but it was on the cusp of becoming the highest grossing movie of all time. And so we're sitting there just in awe of this achievement going, man, dude, look how far they've come. The first Iron Man movie and now look at this, look what they've done. And we started to think, man, has anything come close to this? Has any series of movies uh, come close to this? And and we were like, no, man. I mean, not Indiana Jones, not this, not that. And we were thinking the only thing that would probably come close is Star Wars. And I was thinking, I'm not sure about Sterling. I don't remember asking you at the time, but I was thinking if anything is close, it's Star Wars. But I bet anything, the 20 something plus movies of the MCU probably blows the Star Wars series out of the water. And that's kind of what got this whole MCU versus Star Wars argument going because we just wondered what it actually looks like. What do the numbers look like? And when we compare the two, the two series and all, and when we say series, we mean just the movies. So this isn't the Marvel TV shows or the Star Wars, Clone Wars TV shows, all of that stuff. These are just theatrical releases of the film. So, you know, your main Star Wars films, episode one, all the way through to the rise of Skywalker. And then of course your MCU movies. And honestly, I thought that with 20 something odd movies, this comparison wouldn't be close. And boy, was I wrong about that. Uh, but, and we'll get into more of that uh, as we go along. But to answer Sterling's question, um, I just wanted to give this whole conversation a little context there. But as to Sterling's question, man, geez, man, I mean, what number do you pick on here? Uh, but 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 you you've got some interesting stuff at the bottom of this um, where you took all the box office numbers and then you had a per movie uh, average for a lot of these films and everything like that. And I thought that that was interesting. So basically, he took the entire MCU, 
He took the entire Star Wars series, and at the bottom here, if you're looking at the spreadsheet at the bottom, it's got per movie total. So what is the average gross that these movies, that these series of movies are making per movie? And that was very interesting, man. So when I'm looking at the MCU, uh, man, I was surprised to see that with the adjusted, um, when you adjust the, the box office totals for inflation, the MCU is averaging about a billion dollars of film. And I thought that that was uh, uh, quite a surprise that they have had so many billion dollar box office um, billion dollar films reach that box office number that now for adjusted for inflation, they're averaging a billion dollars a film, which is just, and that is worldwide. That's worldwide per yeah. movie. And that not, yeah, not I guess domestic. I should say that. Okay. Yeah. And I definitely should say that. Yeah. That's the worldwide adjusted for inflation. So worldwide, that means your international markets too. They're averaging about a billion dollars a movie. So that was, to me, very impressive. But <laughs> what's even more impressive is, so then I go to the Star Wars column, and I go down at the bottom to see what they're averaging per movie, uh, worldwide adjusted growth. Same stat that I was looking at for the MCU. And surprisingly, <laughs> Star Wars is is at 1.4 billion. It has a 1.4 billion average uh per movie when you look at that um adjusted inflation worldwide gross. So that is unbelievable that that, that over here you've got 20 something plus movies and the average is that one and it barely get made it to that 1 billion adjusted gross. And then you have Star Wars that worldwide is at 1.4 and it doesn't have half the movies that that the, the MCU has on its side. So really it just goes to show you just that even though the MCU has done these great things, that Star Wars continues to be like the box office king when it comes to its series and just the precedent that it has set over the years, that's just impressive that Star Wars hasn't had that many movies, but definitely has had that kind of box office presence. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, to me, the number that jumps out is the worldwide adjusted growth for Star Wars A New Hope, where it sits at $3.2 billion worldwide adjusted. And yeah. that's insanity right there. To give it a little bit of context, uh, when you want to look at like movies and like how much adjust adjusting for inflation can affect things, if you take the domestic run of Gone with the Wind, which I think was only domestic, you know, back then they weren't doing worldwide releases. But if you look at the domestic run of Gone with the Wind that came out in 1939, adjusted for inflation to now, it grossed almost 1.9 billion domestically when you adjust wow. it to inflation now and now dollars. Um, yeah. And that's whenever, so back then when it came out, uh, it's domestic gross was 200 million. Oh, it did have it. It had a 200 million, uh, international release apparently, but yeah. So adjusting for inflation, it has a 1.9 billion domestic alone. 
And that is bonkers. Um, which easily puts it all. Yeah, it is the all time highest when you adjust for inflation. Uh, oddly enough, followed by Star Wars A New Hope, which is at 1.6 when you adjust its domestic for inflation. It's actually, oh, that is a big adjustment now. It's actually 1.66 billion. Um, yeah, so that's insanity. How much inflation can really affect, like you said, something as small as just the change in ticket prices from then to now. Um, but yeah, Star Wars, if you adjust it for inflation, has a $3.269 billion gross worldwide. That is fucking bonkers. And I guess what else stands out to me when you look at that is the, the weakest Star Wars movie is Solo sitting at $399 million worldwide. Is almost four. It's you. You almost should call it four hundred. It really is. As far as movies go, it's change away. So four hundred million is the weak link in Star Wars. Yeah. Every <laughs> other one, with the exception of Attack of the Clones, when you adjust for inflation worldwide, has at least a billion. With one of them getting three billion. And but then you look at you look at Marvel numbers and stuff like that. You have like an Incredible Hulk, which had three hundred twelve million. And then for like then it was actually kind of a steady stream up for a while. And then you know you have Avengers that hit 1.69 billion. Iron Man 3 hit 1.3 billion. I mean, just in general though, th these numbers are just bonkers to look at. Like fuck, the first Ant-Man did 560 million dollars worldwide adjusted. And in a lot of ways that was almost considered a flop. I mean, yeah. yeah. The weakest one on Marvel is the Incredible Hulk. And I think a lot of that had to do with how shitty the Ang Lee one was. So nobody wanted to see anything with the Hulk. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think so. And then after that is like Captain America, the first Avenger. And I think I think that one was because as ubiquitous as Captain America has been in the comics, when it comes to actual pop culture, until these movies, Captain America was a B-list character. I would argue more so than Iron Man was because Iron Man at least had like a, a cartoon animated series in the nineties. Captain America didn't at least that's true. Actually, that's I mean, true. And I could have, I don't remember one, but who knows? No, he had the live, there was that live action one that was terrible. Oh, those that came two. out like years, he had two of them that, in the eighties. Yeah. Years and years ago. But yeah, if anything, I mean, at the very least, they were maybe at the same level at, at the comics. Like, I mean, both of them were just kind of bees, but I get what you're saying. Like Iron Man, he had that cartoon. He was on in the 90s. He was kind of in and Cap was making like guest appearances. You know what I mean? Like pretty much if he was in something, he was a guest. So I get where you're coming from with that. And when I used to read comics, man those were two characters that honestly i wasn't that interested in unless they were in an x-man or a spider-man or something like that they weren't characters that i considered like top tier i didn't consider them top tier characters they all although the marvel they always did a good job of making it seem like captain america more so than iron man in the beginning then when iron man blew up that all changed this all changed but it always felt like 
Cap was like that respected, legendary type of character. Like everybody respected him. Whenever he made a guest appearance, they were like, oh man, I'm fighting with Captain America. You know, like Spider-Man was like a big fan of him. Like it, they always made him seem... They were always good about making him seem like a big deal whenever he interacted with characters, but I never got the sense that he was as big of a deal, though, comics-wise. You know what I mean, if that makes sense. No, you're absolutely right, because like back in the day, Iron Man and Captain America comics would kind of come, and they would have a run for a while, and then they'd stop. Then they'd have a run for a while, and then they'd stop. Spider-Man wasn't stopping. The X-Men weren't stopping, you know? Like, these characters would just kind of come and go. And so when you look at, like, so let's say phase one of the MCU, when you have your Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, First Avenger, and the Avengers, the weakest, I mean, the, the strongest ones were Iron Man. I mean, the first Iron Man comes in and does 399 million domestic adjusted and 585 million worldwide uh, adjusted or I'm sorry, 694 million worldwide adjusted. And like, so it just came out of nowhere. And the thing is to me is it wasn't even Iron Man that made that money. That was Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Yeah. If they had anyone else being Iron Man, that movie wouldn't have made that much damn money. I agree, man. I don't think so because the, the performance was just so good and seemed like a match made in heaven that... Even people who weren't comic fans, I remember them just wanting to go see that because of how other people who weren't comic fans would come out of the movie and say, oh, man, Robert Downey Jr. was hilarious or Robert Downey Jr. was just great in this or Robert Downey Jr. was just like it it was it really was him that really solidified that movie and that just goes to kind of show you the importance of getting the right actors to do something the importance of how how a performance can propel a film uh because that movie had no other reason to really get that gross i mean given the track record of comic book films you know it's a toss-up at that time it was a 50 50 you know especially for a character like iron man like you were taking a huge risk on that and it paid off. Then, you know, then the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk just kind of, it didn't bomb, but just kind of meandered into, you know, people watching it. Iron Man 2 comes out and hits with 731 million worldwide. So Iron Man 2 comes out and just destroys everything. And then like, then you get into like your Thor and your Captain America, which it's crazy to say at the time, at this time, but no one knew who the fuck Chris Hemsworth was outside of Australia. He had yeah. been in like one or two things in America at this time. No one knew who the fuck that was. And you had Chris Evans, who people knew who he was because of the Fantastic Four movies and a couple other things he had done, but nobody gave a fuck about Chris Evans. And Marvel just really trusted them. And I mean, they did respectable. I mean, Thor did 510 million, which I think, which is great box office wise, but I think Thor as a movie was just kind of, it was better, infinitely better than I expected. Cause I was like, how the fuck are you going to make a movie about Thor? And it, I was the same way, the most insane <laughs> shit ever. And yeah. they really kind of straddled the line. I think a lot of it had to do with Kenneth Branagh, who was the director who I think is an amazingly underrated director because I think his 
Murder on the Orient Express is amazing and vastly underrated, but that's for another podcast. But then you get into Captain America, the first Avenger, which I think is one of the most criminally underrated Marvel films out there. I love Captain America, the first Avenger. Joe Johnson as the director, who, oddly enough, directed also Empire Strikes Back, which I think it's crazy because I'm now looking at my spreadsheet and both of those movies are right next to each other. Um, That's tight. (laughs) But, I mean, Chris Evans was fucking fantastic in that. I was nervous about this movie because we knew they were making the Avengers and everything like that. And you and me had this conversation, Justin, where we're talking about like, yeah, Iron Man could do good. Hulk can do whatever. Thor was, you know, surprisingly good. But if this Captain America movie sucks or Chris Evans isn't a good Captain America, the Avengers is going to bomb. Yeah. I remember us having that conversation and we were like, this movie has to be good. You know, it, it doesn't have to gross as much as some of their, their their other successful movies, but we both agreed it has to be good and he has to be a good Captain America. Otherwise, this shit is going to go downhill real fast because that character is one of the leaders. He's one of the characters at the hymn. If you don't get him right, you're how are you going to weather that storm? You know, as so much, and as yeah. much as we were talking about how he's a B-list character. He's, he is, and I mean, up until recently and all this stuff, but he was the visual leader of the Avengers. Like if you read Avengers, you knew Cap was the leader. Yeah. And so if Cap sucks, you give zero fucks about an Avengers movie. And true. We lucked the, <laughs> we lucked the fuck out. Cause like I said, I think first Avenger is criminally underrated and Chris Evans is an amazing Captain America. Amazing. So then, of course, Avengers comes out and destroys the world as far as box office records go, because it's it's probably one of the simplest movies in the history of ever. I think the only simpler movie than it is John Wick. And I can see that. I can see that it it is really simple. You got these differing personalities that got to come together and how are we going to get them together? And the aliens are attacking. And yeah, you're right. It's very, very straightforward, which is one of the main reasons why it worked. and was so fun, you know, that they, they, they knew what they were doing with that one for sure. You, you had to have a simple movie. You couldn't worry about, emotional complexities all this other shit what it boiled down to is you had to have the characters meet you had to have them bicker a little bit but then you had them have them come together and beat the fuck out of some aliens that's exactly what the avengers movie needed to be and that's exactly what joss whedon gave us like and that's why it worked because then off the hype of that was iron man 3 which then came in with another one billion dollars for marvel and knocked everybody's fucking socks off. I mean, all right, there's a lot of debate on whether or not people like that movie or not. I actually think it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it was it was vastly better than Iron Man two. But oh yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's just one of those things where this is what kind of then cemented Marvel in in Disney as like printing money because then you had Thor: The Dark World come out, which is arguably one of the worst movies. In MCU history. And it still grossed $700 million. Yep. Captain America Winter Soldier almost doubles the previous amount, sitting at $771 million. Then you have Guardians of the Galaxy, which 
even as a comic book fan, I gave zero fucks about that Guardians of the Galaxy movie before it came out. I man, I didn't. I'm did not, not gonna care. lie. I didn't even know. I didn't even know who they were, man, until you, I think, I want to say you told me about them. Like you explained to me uh, what they were and you told me a little bit about the comics, but I don't even think I knew who those characters were. I was like Guardians of the Galaxy. I think the only one I knew was Rocket because he was a guest. Yeah. Yeah, because he was a guest fighter in Marvel Capcom. That was the only, and I didn't even know it then, that that character was a Guardian of the Galaxy. I had no freaking clue till I talked to you, actually. So, yeah, I was in the same boat, man. I mean, I had read Guardians of the Galaxy comic books, mainly because, like movies, I'm a horrible completionist. So if there was a comic book I was reading that would then tie into a Guardians of the Galaxy comic for like three issues. I would have to read those three issues of Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? And so I had read Guardians of the Galaxy comics and I gave zero fucks about that movie. And then it came out and everybody was clamoring about it. Everybody was talking about how it was so good and all this other shit. And I was like, is it really though? And so I think I went the weekend (laughs) after it came out and I watched it and I was like, oh no, that was fucking good. Like, fuck me. And... Like, it, it just kind of goes to show that, like, especially for a, a while there, Marvel just had its, its like, hands on the pulse of, like, exactly how to fucking knock these movies out of the water. I mean, I guess I couldn't, I shouldn't say for a while. It's not like they've done bad since then. I haven't <laughs> necessarily enjoyed all their movies since then. But just in general, people have, though, you know. I mean, even the next one, which was Avengers Age of Ultron, which... Is it's it's down there in quality, still grossed one point five billion, still. And then you have like yeah, then you have what Ant Man comes out, it grosses five hundred and sixty worldwide, which I mean that's that's infinitely more than I think you would even expect if you're Marvel at that point for Ant Man. I know you're yeah. knocking all these other movies out of the park and all this other stuff, but you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is at least an ensemble cast. You know, you have your Chris Pratt and your Zoe Saldana's and your Dave Batista's and Bradley Cooper voices a raccoon. Vin Diesel voices a raccoon. And, you know, so you're not like you. So at least with an ensemble cast, you know, you're going to get some Parks and Rec fans. They're going to go see it because of Chris Pratt, because that was pretty much all he was known for at the time. You know, you're going to get wrestling fans that are going to go see it for Dave Batista. You know, you're going to get some outlying groups that will go see this to see the actor. When pretty much all you had in Ant-Man was Paul Rudd. I mean, yeah, it has Michael Douglas in it, but who the fuck is clamoring for a Michael Douglas movie these days? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, then you have Evangeline Lilly with, I guess, outside of Lost, who the fuck even knows who she is? Because I didn't, because I didn't watch Lost. (laughs) Yeah, I sure didn't either. (laughs) You know? And then outside of that, I knew more of the little heist crew than I did anyone else in that movie. Like Michael Pena and T.I. Like, I knew more of them than anyone else. (laughs) Me too. That's true. That's so funny. But yeah, that's true. And I knew the the bad guy, the bald guy, because all bald people know each other. And he was also, he was really good in the first season of House of Cards. So that's where I knew him from. The guy that played Yellow Jacket. But like, it was like, it's, it's still one of those things that like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Paul Rudd. But I'm not a Paul Rudd completionist. I don't sit there and go, I need to see every (laughs) Paul Rudd movie ever. 
because there's a lot of not good ones in there. He's got some utterly fantastic ones. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to disparage Paul Rudd at all, other than the fact that he's a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan and fuck the Chiefs. But, I mean, it's just like, you know what I mean? It's just with a Paul Rudd movie, if it doesn't look good, I don't care if I don't see it, you know? But, I mean, yeah. I have a lot of issues with Ant-Man. I know other people don't. I don't think you do, if I remember correctly. I think you're okay with Ant-Man. Yeah, I was okay with it. I don't think it's great, but uh, yeah, I was fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, and whereas I'm a little down with it because I don't think it had an identity. Um, but then, I mean, all right, we follow that up with, to me, which is the second best Marvel movie out there, Captain America Civil War, which, bam, once again, $1.2 Like, holy fuck, back into the billions. Then you get Doctor Strange. Well, granted, it had a big name with Benedict Cumberbatch, but... Even as a diehard comic reader, I still give zero fucks about Doctor Strange. I've never liked yeah. Doctor Strange as a character. I mean, and the movie's okay. I'm trying to not hold my personal biases against that character, against the movie. But it still hits 721 worldwide. Holy fuck. That's insanity. Doctor fucking Strange still can get to that upper echelon of movie releases. And then, <laughs> yeah, man. Then you have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Which, bam, 900 billion. Or, yeah, 900 million. I'm sorry. Holy fuck. Like, 900 million. That's insane. Like, you know, I know we've already had a couple of billions, but, like, it's just, it's still, like, it's still there. Like, they're still able to hold. I think, to me, that's the craziest thing about Marvel movies is some of the first ones might be a little weak as far as box office goes, but they they don't have any dips. Like, a, a second or a third movie rarely makes less than the one, like, the one it's the six, uh, the succeeder to, I mean, age of Ultron did cause it only hit 1.5 billion. Whereas Avengers hit 1.6, but like, you know, your Iron Man's keep making more money like one after another Thor to Thor, dark world, vastly more money, Captain America to Captain America to more money. Like that's crazy because as when we get to the star Wars movies, you're going to see that that's not always the case. These movies can like a lot of sequels don't always maintain the success of the one before it. Very true. That's a very difficult and hard thing to do. That's why uh, sequels that are actually good are held in such high regard, you know, because that's not an easy feat. And for Marvel to do it, to have all these different series of characters and seemingly the movies improve and do better each time which is just such i mean i mean your hat has to go off to them for the casting decisions that they made i mean it just seems like just damn near every decision they made for what who's gonna play uh who was just damn near a home run like they just didn't make they may obviously there are some mistakes and not and not all these movies are like the just great movies you know we talked about these some of these before but god man if they didn't fucking knock it out of the park each time with their casting you know and the ability of those actors to evolve in these roles is important too uh to be better or to when called upon to have the chemistry with the rest of the cast like you're not just asking this actor to come in 
and just play for these one or two movies and that's it. That's not really what's happening. He's got to, he or she's got to integrate with the rest of the cast. So it's mind boggling to think about how easily any of those choices could have gone wrong, how easily any of those choices could have been bad. But it's also just as remarkable how it seems like none of the choices they made were bad. You know, like, I mean, maybe you could go back to what, uh, you know, Edward Norton Hulk, maybe. But and I wouldn't say it's a bad decision. They just kind of had a falling out. So that decision didn't work out because of differences and how Norton saw things and things like that, creative differences and stuff like that. So it wasn't like we're watching Incredible Hulk and going, Edward Norton sucks as Bruce Banner. I don't think anybody was saying that. You know, it wasn't a bad decision in that way. Like, oh, they just casted the wrong people for this. It wasn't that kind of, you know, thing that didn't work out. So that doesn't even really count really in that category. But look how many people had to work out. And look how effective they were at even even when they had to replace like like that, like Mark Ruffalo coming in for Bruce Banner or uh, Don Cheadle coming in to play Rhodey after Terrence Howard didn't work out. I mean, so much, much of this could have gone wrong and it just didn't. You know what I mean? And that and that in and of itself is remarkable. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially when you're getting into the next movie on this list, which is Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, the integration of Tom Holland and Spider-Man into this shit. I mean, I know it technically started in Civil War, but like, holy fuck. Like, you know, you had Iron Man and Spider-Man teaming up in a movie. That was fucking crazy. And then after Spider-Man Homecoming, you go into Thor Ragnarok, which is, to me, the most ambitious of the Marvel movies. Because, A, you took one of its worst performing characters. And one where all of them were really kind of tired of it all. Like, I know Chris Hemsworth and uh, other uh, people in the Thor movies and stuff were talking about how they were kind of ready for it to be done because of how the Thor movies had been, you know? Hmm. They were just such, like, dour affairs to work on. They weren't having fun making the Thor movies. Like, he wasn't tired of being Thor. He was tired of making the Thor movies. And it all changed just bringing, bringing Taika Waititi into it. Like, bringing Taika Waititi into it and just making the Thor character fun and just going balls to the wall and just accepting 100% of the ridiculousness that is combining Thor and World War Hulk into one thing and reinvigorated it all. Like Natalie Portman is coming back for Thor 4 solely because Chris Hemsworth was like, oh no, it's different working with Taika. Like these aren't, you know, those drabby affairs that she had been in before. Hmm. You know, so like, yeah, that's like, so just that reinvigorated energy that was brought into Thor with that. And then now the next movie is the one that broke all expectations because this was the first time the first movie, like the origin of a character movie broke a billion and that's Black Panther. Yeah. And, um, and man, Black Panther. And that's, and that's another thing about these films. You spoke to, uh, Thor Ragnarok and how uh, Taika came in and was and was ambitious and accepting kind of the ridiculousness of that character and um, 
th- that little bit of comedy and then throwing and then like you said having kind of that world war hulk element in there and having the hulk in there and and those the interactions that they had and just the 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 light heartedness of that film and the tone of that was just perfect and you spoke to how ambitious Thor Ragnarok is and another film that I see as ambitious was Black Panther and I think I can speak to that in a similar light because that very much was just um it's 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 definitely um, like you said, the origin movie that was able to kind of break that hump and get that uh, billion dollars. It was the first one to do that. But I think also the story of that film is that it was just very ambitious and it was very like uh, j- j- just the the black pride that went into that. Just the 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 fact that they let the the culture shine in that that they brought those ish some of those issues and things like that to light the fact that they let the 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 fact that they kind of let it feel like this different movie like you felt like you really were witnessing different people going through different things seeing different cultures and things like that but it was almost like it was a celebration of all that, you know? It was almost like it was just, it just seemed like this different thing. And of course, it's a comic book movie, so you're going to have your familiar comic book elements. But all of like the, the just the, the way that that package was delivered and kind of the trends and the uproar that it just made whenever it came out in the box office just speaks to how ambitious it was and it just really speaks to marvel having the foresight and going look we we, you know we could just do this black panther movie and uh uh, whatever director we hire cool and we can um just you know we just need to get from point a to point b with this so let's just have so it come out somebody make it and we'll just make it this straightforward kind of the movie but who they hired um the director that came on to to make this movie and and just the the the, the casting and the fact that they really wanted it to be afrocentric and just the difference that that made the way that that made it feel better how they empowered the actors and the directors and the filmmakers to say look make your movie yes it's a marvel movie but this is your movie. Make it that way. And and giving them that kind of creative freedom to do that. And that's kind of why you got what you got. And you can feel that through the screen, you know, through the actors and the filmmakers and everything like that. And it just got all these accolades and really just kind of did something in a way that the other movies didn't do. Cause don't get me wrong. These, all these movies are making money where you, you're, we, we're showing you are you're hearing all these numbers. You're, if you're, if you look at the spreadsheet, all these movies are making money, but it's the way you do it too. It's the, it's how you speak to people. It's the, the, the impact that you have on different sex of the audience, because Marvel's trying to get everybody to see their movies. So, you have to have different movies that appeal to people in different ways. And that was just such a great approach for the Black Panther movie. And I think the 
defining reason why it was so successful. I think outside of the original Iron Man and before Avengers Endgame, I think Black Panther is probably the most culturally significant of all of them. You know, you have to give credit to Iron Man for it because it started all this. Yes, for sure. You have to, you know, you have to give Avengers Endgame credit too because it's the highest grossing movie of all time. So obviously that's a huge cultural impact. I say that, yet I vastly hold the sentiment of the movie it beat which is avatar is was the highest grossing movie of all time that had the least cultural impact of ever um but just black panther (laughs) i think in general even if you look at it outside of it adding representation into the marvel movies that didn't exist really before yeah just the fact that you could almost go anywhere in america and just yell wakanda forever and you would have like 75% 75% of the people do the, the little Wakanda salute. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was able to touch aspects of our culture that I don't want to say that, that just weren't really approached in this type of mainstream way before. And like you in, in, in that alone makes it like that much more impactful. And then when you look at it and it's the first origin story of all these movies that reaches a billion on top of that just really kind of shows how significant that was because I don't think if, if it hadn't hit a billion, I don't think Captain Marvel would have. And I don't yeah. think Spider-Man two would have. Well, all right. Spider-Man two had a really good shot because it comes after Endgame, but yeah, I, I don't think Captain Marvel would have beat a billion if it wasn't for black Panther. I, I think there's some validity to that. Um, and it had a little help too coming after infinity war, but yeah, no, but you're totally right. Like that movie needed to be that way because who knows if they would have approached captain Marvel the way they would, because once they saw, Oh, look, you know, we can kind of have this culturally relevant movie and it can kind of be Afrocentric and kind of, it, it can, it, we can gear it and have things that really speak to that sect of the audience and it could be successful. And I'm not saying that black Panther is only for black people. I don't like, I don't want this to be misconstrued, but you know, there are obvious things in it. It's an Afrocentric movie. So going into captain Marvel, I'm pretty sure, like you said, because of black Panther, and its success, they were like, oh, yeah, man, we can really have this empowering pro-female movie, and it's going to kick ass. I don't think you would have had that confidence, like you said, if that experiment with Black Panther didn't work so well. Well, exactly, because Black Panther was unapologetically Afrocentric. And I think since it was successful being that, Captain Marvel was able to be unapologetically female centric. Like I, like you said, I think it gave Marvel the confidence to just say, well, fuck it. People will see it. Like let's make the best possible version of this and people will see it. You know, you can have a movie that's pretty much solely based in Africa. And like you said, is fully Afrocentric. And as long as it's, you know, it's got the quality behind it. People will see it. You know, if they made the same movie and then, you know, like you said, the casting was shit, the story was, you know, all this other stuff. All right. It wouldn't have hit that, but it was like this perfect amalgamation of an amazing story, uh, an amazing director, amazing cast that it was able to make up for 
terrible CGI fight scenes at the end. <laughs> I just I can't get over that. That was so bad. Well, you're not wrong. It was bad. <laughs> but it it overcomes it, you know? Like I'm I've I I'm I have I'm willing to go back and watch the Black Panther even though, you know, they spent $5 on the special effects at the end. Like <laughs> because the, the the overall quality of the movie is still so good that I, I I don't want to say I'm forgiving of it, but I just I look past it because the the rest of the movie more than makes up for it. Yeah, yeah. You could just you could tell you could feel that there was some ambition, just like you could feel it in Thor Ragnarok, man. Just like you could feel it in Captain Marvel. You could feel you can feel when there's when a movie is made with some sort of ambition. And I'm not saying it has to the ambition has to be black pride or female empowerment, but any movie with ambition, man, you can feel it. You can feel it just has an energy. The actors bring a level of confidence and flair to their performances. It's directed in a way to where you just felt like they're trying. And 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 a lot of times it sounds simple, but a lot of movies lack those things. Well, <laughs> I mean, well just, no, just, look, just look back at some of the movies we've already done this year where look at the turning. Look at Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Um, you know, those movies are just devoid of of ambition. They're it it the boy, the boy too, Brahms the boy too. It's devoid oh, of Christ. ambition. Devoid. You know, it's they're it they're devoid of thought. They're devoid of I mean, I don't even get the sense that the writer or director of any of those movies gave a fuck about their movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I gave more of a fuck about those movies than they did. <laughs> I think us as a whole gave more of a fuck than they did because we then spent time recording an episode about it. I don't, th I think we spent more time recording our episodes and then me editing them than they spent working on the movies. It wouldn't surprise me if they filmed all those movies in 10 minutes. Just somehow, I know, I know, I know they can't because they're like hour, you know, multiple hours long and stuff like that. But I'm like, eh, 10 minutes. That's like all the effort it felt like they put in. Other than that, I think they actively filmed the films for 10 minutes and then they kind of just left the cameras on tripods and was like, yeah, just do some shit in front of it. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, just have a field day and uh, I don't know, man. I'm just hungry. What kind of sandwich am I going to eat? I just do whatever. We'll leave the tripods there. And that's what it feels like. And, and you know, and I mean, the audience out there, you know what we mean. You know, you, you've had that friend. You've had that person. You know that coworker that just doesn't give a damn. And they can say whatever. They can, they can say that they're working hard. They can say that they're trying, but you know, you feel it and you can see it in the actions that they don't give a damn. And you know that that person just doesn't give a damn, but it's not a give a damn. Like, oh man, he's cool. He doesn't give a damn. It's more like, man, I wish that motherfucker would do something with his life. You know, it's that. So that that's what these movies are like. They advertise, you know, they come out, they, they do the, they say everything you're supposed to say. They have previews. You see things <laughs> they have, um, you know, trailers and it looks like a, and they got release dates and you can go to the movie. The Well, now you can't, 
you know, uh, at the moment we can't, but you know, you can go to the movie. It's going to be there. They've got box office listings and they, 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 they have all the things optics wise that would seem to indicate that somebody tried, but <laughs> you get in there, you experience this thing just like you experience that coworker and you immediately can feel that nobody gave a damn. And and that is what it is. That is just, that is life, man. And that is what it is. Well, I mean, and I can, we can give two really good examples of how, trying makes all the difference in the world one of them is a movie that i feel sorry for you know listeners of this podcast have listened to us for a while i'm gonna bring up and i just i know instantly as soon as i say it, you'll agree one movie we have done a, a podcast episode about that had no right to be good but because all the people in it cared and they they had ambition they had drive they they just genuinely cared about the movie they were making and it is incredibly obvi- obvious in the movie that they did. And it makes the difference in the movie. My first example of that is Crawl. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, it, it has no right being a good movie. And it's still, I can't stop talking about that movie. I mean, this is, this is a year later. And I'm still talking about Crawl. Because it made that big of an impression on me. And another one is one we did very, very recently. And that's The Way Back with Ben Affleck. Yes. Yes. Good one, man. Good, good, good call on that. Very good call. I mean, that movie had no right being good. We've all seen the movie 90 billion times and I'll be damned if that wasn't the best version of that movie I've seen because everyone in that movie gave a fuck and it is 100% obvious when you watch it and it makes all the difference in the world. We have all seen Ben Affleck mail in a role. We have all seen it. I've seen it more than most people because I've seen all of them. I just have to watch all Ben Affleck movies. But you can tell he <laughs> does not mail in a fucking second in that movie. He cares about everything he's doing in that movie. And you see it and you feel it every step of the way. It's so true. And I mean, and that's why I think that is the testament to Marvel's success. Like, And like you said, like that movie, like before I get right compliment of Marvel, um, but yeah, like you said, with that movie with Ben Affleck, like it is apparent that somebody said, look, we could end it this way, like every other sports movie like this, but we're not going to end it the same way that they always see. We could have it be about these issues and how this person overcomes in this way. But you know what? We're not going to focus on that, how he overcomes through his basketball team and his experiences with basketball. But you know what? We're not going to tell the story that way. We're going to focus on something else. We're going to put the lens over here and focus on these aspects of this character's journey and not look at the same optics that the crowd is used to seeing every time. And you can feel that, man. Somebody tried. Somebody said, well, is there a different way we can showcase this? Is there a different way we can say this? Is there a different way that we can present this? And Ben Affleck was like, man, dude, I'm going to I'm really going to make you care about this character. What can I do? How can I be? How can I react? How can I? You can just tell. You can just tell. It felt like they cared when you watch it on the way back. You felt like when you were done with that, you just took a deep breath and went, wow, I I cared about this. (laughs) And should I have cared? Should I have cared? I mean, why do I care as much as I did? 
you know, you leave going, man, dude, I'm, I'm I, I think everything's going to work out. And you, you, and you're like, man, dude, I can't believe it got me to care. And I think that that is the success of Marvel. Like, whether everybody's got their top tens and twenties and all that stuff and top movies, this and worst movies that, but my God, you feel like they care about these characters, man. You, you feel like they, they, they tried to get the best people to play them. You feel like they're just not going, okay. It's a, it doesn't feel like to me yet that it is just a shameless cash grab. It doesn't feel like that yet. Now, could it, down the road, maybe. I mean, not every, all good things don't last forever, right? Eventually, this is going to have to, something's going to happen, right? I imagine so. But at this moment, I, it feels like they are trying, man. It feels like with Thanos, they tried. He wasn't just a nameless, a faceless, just big alien doing stuff. They tried, they tried to give you a story. They tried to give you something to make you understand where this character's coming from. You, you feel like they try, man. You feel like they try. More often than not, you feel like somebody is trying. When they saw that Thor, that the Thor movies weren't working, what did they do? They got a different director. They changed it up. They said, let's try something different. Well, that's a testament to Kevin Feige. Yeah. Like, you can tell, like, I have issues with the Marvel movies, especially the ones we're about to get into. But I will never doubt Kevin Feige's commitment to doing the best he thinks they can do with these movies. Like you said, the Thor movies were kind of getting a bad rap. What did he do? He went and found Taika Waititi, which is now almost a household name. But at the time, he wasn't. He had done some low-budget movies. In, I mean, people kind of knew him in New Zealand, and that's really about it. And he got this guy and went, do these fucking movies, dude. You know, do Thor Ragnarok. And that changed the game. And then you have Coogler for Black Panther. Yeah. You know, you have the Russo brothers, which have been in the Marvel Universe since Captain America Winter Soldier, but he gave them Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. They were known for directing episodes of Community. <laughs> and they were handed the two biggest movies in marvel history you know it's 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 crazy but i mean like i said i have issues with movies we're about to talk about but kevin feige gives a fuck and yeah as long as kevin feige's there and as long as kevin feige gives a fuck all these marvel movies have a chance all of them it really is that simple because that is true he is the common factor through all of this even when uh was it was it Ike Ike Perlmutter who was involved a lot more in phases one and two and phase two while it did make a lot of money Disney got kind of nervous because Age of Ultron made less money than Avengers they're used to all their sequels making more money than the one before it it got a little iffy and so what did Kevin Feige do he went hey Ike Perlmutter's really busy why don't you just give me control of the MCU and and Bob Iger at Disney went all right cool and then they're at an almost unprecedented level of success now, <laughs> just because of that. Just that little change <laughs> of just giving it all to Kevin Feige, which Kevin Feige was producing and worked on all these other movies before, but they gave him control. And now he's he's essentially the most sought after producer out there. Like Star Wars has kind of gotten a bad rap with some of its stuff. What is what what is what have they done with Star Wars? Oh, hey, Kevin Feige, can you come produce a, couple, a few Star Wars movies for us? 
So Kevin Feige is going to produce some Star Wars movies. Like, oh man, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's just I have a feeling those are going to be some of the best Star Wars movies we're going to see, and we'll get yeah. to that. Which we do need to get to Star Wars. So let's go ahead and get on to oh, this yeah. next one. Um, yeah, with a, a Avengers: Infinity War, which somehow made domestically less than Black Panther. I don't know if anybody really realizes that domestically it made less than Black Panther. Worldwide, it made two billion. So I mean. <laughs> Still a monumental success. I just thought it was interesting that I'm looking at these numbers right now. It made less than Black Panther domestically, though. That's crazy. Huh. I'm shocked. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, not by yeah. much. I mean, it's 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 by a very small amount, by like $22 million. But still, like, that's crazy considering it's a $2 billion movie. Um, And then you have the least successful movie since uh, I, since Captain America Civil War, um, which was the Ant-Man and the Wasp. Which only made six hundred and thirty-three million. Which it's crazy that you're like, oh, the least successful one, you know, of the last yeah. few, and it's still six hundred and <laughs> something million dollars. But it continued the trend. It made more money than the first Ant Man. Mm-hmm. It did. It improved upon the first one. Yeah. And some of it had to do with the Infinity War, but it's still it did fairly fucking great. And then you have Captain Marvel, which we've already really mentioned. It one point one billion. Yeah. And. I mean, we've already kind of talked about that, uh, but yeah, it's still, I, I think, you know, because of the success of Black Panther, they took chances in this and I thought it, I actually thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you have Avengers Endgame, which I don't like at all, really, but I understand why <laughs> it, I understand why it almost made $2.8 billion and is the highest grossing movie of all time. I get it. I understand it. You know, I just, ha- I have my issues with. I do think some aspects of it were kind of a money grab or not a money grab per se, but an emotional heart grab that felt a little cheap to me. And I understand I'm kind of a heartless monster. So that's why it feels a little cheap to me where everybody else is like, I cried in this movie and I'm like, fuck you. You're cheap. But you know, that's tomato, tomato at that point. That's how I see it. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this movie. It's the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah, what needs to be said? Everybody's seen it. Yeah, <laughs> You've I was about to say, seen it, so. everybody's seen it because it made $2.8 billion. Everyone saw it. You know, and if you didn't, it's because you weren't going to see it anyway. Like, pretty much, yeah. You had to go out of your way to not accidentally watch that movie, I feel like. How did you not, like, go to Walmart and then accidentally not watch Avengers Endgame on your way to Walmart? Like, fuck. And then you have uh, the last Marvel movie we'll talk about because it is. As of right now, the last movie, Marvel movie to be released, which is a uh, Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, which I thought eh, was pretty good, I guess. I mean, I know you really liked it. I mean, it's pretty good. But first, yeah, first good. Spider-Man movie to bust a billion. Yeah. I mean, fuck, dude. These Marvel movies know what the fuck they're doing. Um, So, I mean, if we add up the totals, if you're not looking at the spreadsheet, I don't know why. I, I put all this work into it. Look at it. Um, So, overall... Adjusted for inflation worldwide, the 23 Marvel movies that have been released have made $23,881,014,879. Averaging out, like Jasta mentioned earlier, at roughly $1 billion a movie. That is crazy. Yeah. But that's not even as crazy as it can get. Because when you look at these Star Wars numbers, holy fuck. Oh um, man, well, Star let me, Wars. Let me break down the Marvel just a little bit more. Uh, if you look at just domestic box office adjusted for inflation, the 23 Marvel movies sit at 
eight billion nine hundred thirty-five million two hundred thirty-four million two hundred. I'm sorry, two hundred thirty-four thousand two hundred seventy-six dollars, averaging out to roughly uh three hundred eighty-eight million domestically world uh domestic box office, which is still insane. Like most of these movies outside of Avengers Endgame, which supposedly cost around $500 million to make, um, most of these other movies would be considered box office successes solely based on their U.S. numbers alone. It's crazy. But it really does get crazier. As weird as it sounds, it gets crazier because we're going to go into Star Wars now, which, as Justin said earlier, with 11 movies, destroys Marvel in almost every single category. Uh, when you break it down, <laughs> I mean, yes, has Marvel made more money overall than Star Wars just based on movies? Yes, it has. But there is 23 of them. Yes. Star Wars has 11 and it's a lot closer than you would think. You know, you would think at least Star Wars would be half of what Marvel has done, considering it's a little less than half of what, you know, the Marvel movies made. But it's closer than that. So we're going to start off. And my spreadsheet, the way I've done it, it's the prequel trilogy, the main trilogy, the Abrams trilogy, and then the two, you know, Star Wars universe movies. But, I mean, all right, so you look at Phantom Menace. Worldwide adjusted for Phantom Menace is $1.5 billion. Holy fuck. Wow. And I, I guess because <laughs> I was younger when it came out, I didn't realize that at the time when it came out was a billion-dollar worldwide movie. I didn't realize that. But, yeah, this... That Phantom Menace, dude. I mean, say what you will about it. People were fucking hungry for that Star Wars. And as you'll see, too, as we go through these, Phantom Menace, A New Hope, and Force Awakens have all done ungodly numbers as far as, like, compared to the rest of any of their respective trilogies. Because you have $1.5 billion for Phantom Menace. And then you have the weakest non-auxiliary like uh, Star Wars movie Next with Attack of the Clones. Uh, Attack of the Clones sits at 922 million worldwide adjusted. Which it's kind of crazy that that movie made that much money and it almost feels like a failure. I mean, it yeah. is as a movie because it's fucking garbage. But yes. <laughs> but box office wise, it's 88 million away from a billion. And you're just looking at it, especially compared to these other numbers, looking at it going, man, you're a failure. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And then you have Revenge of the Sith, which comes in at $1.1 billion. So, I mean, it it means they all three averaged together, made a billion together. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really kind of crazy to see that drop off and th- then see the third one pick up the slack. Like, the third yeah. one comes back and gets, you know, which I, yeah. I do. I guess I get because it is the best of those three. It, it really is. It really is. Like, uh... I totally agree with that. Revenge of the Sith is the best one of those three, for sure. Because, like, with Phantom Menace, like, let's be real. Outside of Darth Maul, what matters in that movie? Jack shit. <laughs> You're wrong, Justin. You were supposed to say the hate of Jar Jar Binks. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on that bastard. <laughs> uh, we won't stick Jeez. on that along, because we, we're, we're really in the meat of it now. With A New Hope. <laughs> Because when you adjust that A New Hope for inflation, worldwide, like we were talking about earlier, $3 billion. Second, and when you when you look at it in just its domestic 
adjusted for inflation, is $1.6 billion, which makes it second all-time domestic adjusted for inflation. Holy fuck. I, I mean, it makes sense that it's that. I just didn't realize it was that. Like in my head, before actually looking at the numbers, I didn't think Star Wars would be that. A New Hope would be that. I didn't think that at all. No, me neither. And I think that some of that is just because, like you said, I we I never was one to look at the 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 box office numbers and like these total grosses and adjusted grosses and stuff until um, I got a little bit more serious about tracking this stuff. Like you, just like you were, but you know. Even when I was thinking about the original trilogy, you're always hearing about how Empire is the best. Empire is the 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 best one of those three. And you're always hearing about how much better some of the other movies were. So you just are thinking, and I don't know, I've, at least with me, since that had always been the narrative that Empire is just the best, you know, th- th- that's always kind of been the narrative I'm most familiar with. So I guess in my mind somewhere that made me think, oh, Empire must be the most successful one, too. And that is just not the case. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, <laughs> not, obviously it, now. By far not. Because when you yeah. adjust for worldwide, uh, worldwide adjusted for inflation, is damn near half of what A New Hope did. That's crazy. Which is astounding. Which is astounding because you're like, because typically if a sequel is better, it does. It performs better usually, you well, know? I think, I think like, with like this. Typically. I think with this, the original Star Wars was an oddity. Because what else came out before, like like that before it in movies. You know what I mean? So everybody True. was seeing it. Empire Strikes Back True. were the diehard fans. Yeah. You know, because it is, it is hands down. Oh, I shouldn't say hands down the best Star Wars movie. Arguably it's hands down the best Star Wars movie. And yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It does half of that. And it's still, and I love how we're talking about it. Like it's a bad thing that it does half with the one before it did. It still hit 1.6 <laughs> billion worldwide. Yeah, which is still great. Yeah, so don't get us wrong here. We're not saying that Empire sucked or anything, but it is crazy how New Hope has done like twice that. That's just crazy, you know? Yeah. And then you look at Return of the Jedi, which is another downward turn. I think it's funny that we're we're still going down because it's at 1.2 worldwide adjusted. And that's just so crazy with... That is two billion less than a new hope. It is still ridiculously successful, even by modern day standards. And it's still looked upon as drastically bad because it's two billion less than Star Wars A New Hope. And it's still wildly a success. Yeah. <laughs> so then now you get into the highest grossing movie of all time, US domestic, not adjusted for inflation, which is uh Star Wars The Force Awakens sitting at 974 million adjusted domestic. No or even or even if you're doing I'm sorry doing the non-adjusted sits at 936 million, which makes it the all-time domestic leader in the US, which accounts for damn near half of its worldwide total cuz it's sitting at 2.2 billion. So almost half of all of Star Wars The Force Awakens was done in the US alone. That's crazy. Yeah, that is 
impressive. And I don't know, man, but it's almost like I'm sensing a trend with these Star Wars movies. It's like it always starts great. Like when you look at the new hope, and I mean, trilogy wise, like if you divided these up, like if you look at a new hope and then you look at the Phantom Menace and then you look at the Force Awakens, look how incredible those beginner trilogy movies performed. And it's almost like if there's a trend with Marvel, kind of this upper trend of their movies improving it seems like the best thing that has happened to Star Wars is the breaks that it takes. Oh, exactly. <laughs> because that's exactly because it when is. it comes back, because when it comes back, it just destroys. When it takes that break, it's like a bear that hibernates and it just comes out ready to hunt the salmon, you know, ready to get that jump in the river and get that salmon. And it just it gets everything in sight because it's it's mind. It's clear and it's slept for so long. Like the best thing Star Wars does is hype is not be on the screen because when it comes back, people are salivating for it. That is 100 percent what it is like. Because and as you'll see, like Star Wars: The Last Jedi, one almost one point four billion adjusted worldwide, and it's it's that's why I I changed what I said earlier to arguably the best Star Wars movie of all time. Because Last Jedi gives it a huge run for its money. I know diehard Star Wars fans don't like to hear that, but let's be real: The Last Jedi is fucking great, and yeah, it it does a billion, almost a billion less than Force Awakens. It's crazy. Just, yeah. just like the just like a new hope to Empire Strikes Back. And once again, the only one to buck this trend was Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. Because if you look Rise of the Skywalker, it hit one uh it hit just a little over a billion. So once again, did the third one did worse than the second, just like Return of the Jedi did for an uh, Empire Strikes Back. But it still hit a billion. Like holy fuck, it still hit a billion. Still. And I mean, and then you get into the two outliers when it comes to Star Wars, which is Rogue One and Solo. Rogue One hit 1.1 billion worldwide adjusted. So it still hit a billion. And dude, I did not watch Rogue One until I think after. Well, it was a long time after because I ended up never seeing it in theaters. I bought it on iTunes and I think it still sat there for like six or seven months without me watching it. And then I finally saw Rogue One. It was all right. It's all right, but then you get into Solo, and Solo is which the, I haven't seen. Solo <laughs> That's is the one the I worst haven't seen. Star Wars performing movie ever, sitting at worldwide adjusted, just a hair under four hundred million dollars. Still a success by most standards. It's the redheaded bastard stepchild of Star Wars movies. So, like, if it wasn't for that, Star Wars would be drastically higher in almost every conceivable metric that we're about to get into. Like, that is what truly brought star wars numbers down drastically yeah yeah and i also owned that movie and i didn't watch it till i think right before rise of the skywalker came out like didn't watch it in theaters then i bought it on itunes when it came out on itunes and i didn't watch it till like right before rise of the skywalker like i still didn't watch it until right before rise of the skywalker <laughs> And man, I didn't go see it in theaters either. And man, that shit's been on Netflix for a good minute and I still haven't watched it. And I don't know why 
I, I just don't care about that. I don't know if it was just the reception or I know that a lot of people felt like uh, because of the polarizing reception that Last Jedi got that it hurt this movie that that's one of the narratives I've heard, but it's very interesting that it was that low, man, considering that Han Solo is a staple character. You know, I don't, you know, he's not a, I wouldn't call him a garbage character in the star Wars lore. I thought he was one of the more important, you know, he seems pretty important to it. So yeah, that's a, it's a surprise. I can tell you why though, because what works in, in Han Solo's favor at least when it comes to movies. I know when it comes to books and comics and all this other shit, they've told, or I don't know, they might have told Han Solo's backstory. But, like, those stories do focus on all these other, like, things, the backstories of characters and stuff like that. But you're in general Star Wars movie fans. We don't give a fuck about Han Solo's backstory. Because what makes him a more interesting character? That he's a mysterious scoundrel. The mis- You're right. You know what? You, I think you nailed it. Yeah, it's the mystique that that not know the the how mysterious he is. Not knowing was part of his mystique, I guess you could say. And then you have another guy playing him who's not Harrison Ford. So I don't know. You know, some of that has to be a factor, like you said. Some of that, though, for sure, the mystique of it is kind of ruined when you know what he is. You know. Yeah. I don't, I don't give a fuck about that. And then especially after watching it, I didn't give a fuck about it. I mean, to me, <laughs> the only, the only real good thing about the solo movie was Donald Glover playing Lando. That's it. I don't really give a fuck about anything else that happened in that movie. I personally would have rather just seen a Lando movie instead because that's like a, that's like a different character. It's a more interesting character. Like, whereas what makes Han Solo interesting is, like I said, the, like in the world, and like you said, the mystique. He's a mysterious, rotten scoundrel. That is why mm-hmm. people like that character. True. Everybody likes a bad boy. Nobody gives a fuck why a bad boy is a bad boy. <laughs> no one cares about that. No one Quote cares. The about, night. Like, nobody cares why you get tattoos and ride a motorcycle and wear a leather jacket and shit. Why you smoke your cigarettes standing on a street corner. No one gives a fuck about any of that. They just care that you look like a bad boy while you do it. Nobody wants to hear the rest of that shit. It's boring. It's played out. It's just like, you know, hearing the the backstory for the for the bad guy bully character in like in the Breakfast Club. You know, it's like the Star Wars equivalent of that. 20 years too late. Like <laughs> that's what makes it uninteresting is you've already endeared yourself to that character. You don't need a backstory. You don't need a backstory for a character that you've already attached yourself to because that's what a backstory <laughs> does. A backstory makes you care about a character. If they already care about your character, don't give them a backstory. True. True. I mean, which I think is the big problem with the prequel trilogy. Everybody had already kind of endeared themselves to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Everybody, even though he's a terrible person, had already kind of endeared themselves to Darth Vader. That's why the prequels suck. Because nobody gives a fuck about their backstories. Like, you already accepted that Darth Vader was this person from before. He became Darth Vader. And he was evil. He was a horrible, horrible person. But slightly redeemed himself because he threw an old man down a shaft. He already had a redemption arc. Why do you need to tell what led to his fall? 
he's already been redeemed. Like that's the most backass thing ever. Like re- you're you're explaining a character that everybody's already accepted is redeemed. We already accepted him as a bad guy and already accepted him as a redeemed bad guy. Nobody needed to see the fall because the fall makes it less interesting, especially because he's just a whiny little bitch the whole time. Like it's so fucking dumb. And yet somehow George Lucas could do all this shit and still make close to $16 billion on 11 movies. That's why I said it is not as far off as you would think because it's roughly $8 billion apart. Marvel has 12 more movies and there's only $8 billion difference. That's crazy. And especially because if you take Solo off, it only becomes like $8.4 billion difference. Solo is a complete non-factor in everything. All it does is ruin the average per movie, which sits at almost $1.5 billion. Holy fuck. These Star Wars movies are just a fucking printing press of money. They release one and they'll just average $1.5 billion. Holy shit. Even, even if you knock down, Revenge, or, uh, knock down A New Hope by a billion dollars, it would still average $1.4 billion a movie. Like, that's crazy that it would still beat Marvel, Marvel by $4 billion if you took a billion dollars off one of its movies. That's crazy. That That is shocking. Like, to even think that even if you did that, it would still beat. I mean, that's just, and I mean, you got to just put that into perspective. To have these kinds of averages and to have those total numbers versus something that has had like more than half the films just goes to show you the just unbelievable presence that Star Wars has. And the crazy thing about Star Wars is is that when you look at when you think about the narrative and you think about the story and the progression of these from the prequel trilogy and kind of the polarizing reception it had early on. And then you think about some of the reception of The Last Jedi versus uh, The Force Awakens and then the rise of Skywalker kind of coming back and kind of just reassuring fans. I think for the most part, the reception of that film was was pretty positive. Uh, Star Wars has kind of been in this up and down kind of story. But as we show here, you you would think, oh, man, it's gone downhill from what it was. You know, that's what you hear about it a lot after these new this new trilogy came out. But when you look at the box office numbers, surprisingly, that's just not the case. If anything, this newer trilogy just did what the other ones have done. It started strong and it dwindled a bit after a strong start but still did respectable numbers. So really, if you're looking at these numbers, Star Wars is just fine and has room to improve, but it's still this close to Marvel after just 11 movies? That is astounding, and it's scary because Star Wars can get a lot better. You know what I mean? No, I think you're absolutely right because as much as fans like to decry like the downfall of star Wars and all this other stuff. I mean, the numbers don't really bear it out as much as, you know, we, we all talked about, or what we already talked about, like the weight between star Wars movies 
always means the first one in the trilogy blows the fuck up. And then Mm -hmm. the numbers always balance out. Yeah. That's just, that's what Star Wars has always done. And I mean, outside of a, outside the prequel trilogy, it's always been first movies blows them out of the water. The second movie just pretty good. And the third movie is just a little worse than that. Whereas, you know, the prequel trilogy, like we said earlier, goes from under a billion to just a hair over a billion, you know, between the two movies. Um, But the rest of it, it's always, it's one, two, three in order of box office success. That's just how it plays out. You know, that's how it was with the original trilogy. And that's what it was for the Abrams trilogy. Like, yeah. So as much as everybody wants to decry that, oh, look at its box office numbers. Fucker still hit a billion. Like when you're looking at Rides of the Skywalker, the fucker still hit a billion. (laughs) Yep. And it still followed the trend of the original trilogy. So you can't be really that upset with it. Disney can't be upset with it. I mean, of course, would Disney want them all to make like 1.7 billion each? Yes. But with the Star Wars movies, they don't. And that, this is the other thing. With these Star Wars movies, they don't get China. These are all non-Chinese numbers. Oh, my gosh. And that alone is scary. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, the, the fact that they can do these without China, that's what is even more spectacular about all this. I don't know if the original trilogies went to China or not. But I know I know these new ones don't because the Chinese government goes, oh, you want to take down the authoritarian bad people? We can't show that movie here. So they don't. Well, I don't know. They might have changed it, but I know they, they didn't for Last Jedi or Force Awakens. So I'm assuming Rise of the Skywalker didn't go there. But yeah, it's that's the other big thing too. That might be something we need to have an episode about, which is just the the box office influence that is China. Yes, we got to. We've got to because, man, even if you're looking at Marvel one way now versus Star Wars, um, but when you see what the Chinese markets have done for the MCU and the fact that Star Wars is where it is without that piece of pie, it might change your perspective completely. We can can do it with Marvel, but I'm talking about just movies in general. As much as everybody loves to talk about how, like, Oh, America, you know, it's the movies, all this other shit. What China does for movies is sometimes the reason why movies get made. Like Pacific Rim 2 came out solely because the first movie did amazing in China. Mm -hmm. Like if it wasn't for it doing so good in China, it wouldn't have gotten a sequel. But it did. So it got a sequel. I mean, everybody looks at World of Warcraft as a horrible bomb. That movie would not surprise me if it got a sequel just because it did so fucking good in China. So fucking good. It would be a box office success if it only came out in China. That's how crazy good it did in China. Man. But yeah, like, oh, I, I do think we need to do that because, you know, just show the difference between, like, like I said, everybody loves to talk about, like, the American box office and all this other stuff. We ain't shit when it comes to China, especially when you consider how few American movies even come out in China. I mean, I would argue... That I mean, the Chinese market is why movies get made now. There's so much money yeah. from China even being put into movies to produce them. I mean, we might be the ones that are actually making these movies, but there's a lot of Chinese movies money going into producing them, and there's a ton of mo- Chinese money coming into the box office for them. And yep. just how influential that can be. Like people don't realize that like the Fast and the Furious franchise is like now billion dollar franchises. Like with its movies, it can hit billions on its movies. And that's because of China. They're doing like $200 million here 
They're doing like 400 million in China. And everybody yeah. talks about how big the Fast and the Furious franchise is and all this other shit. They're on their ninth fucking movie. It's a huge franchise. China's blowing us out of the fucking water with every one of those. Well, not every one of them, like the newer ones and shit. It's like blowing us out of the water. And that's why, like, if people are mad about the Fast and Furious franchise still making movies, blame China. I personally, or blame me, because I fucking love them. But <laughs> they're tight. I it's like them too. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm right there with China. Like, no, these movies are amazing. Just give them all the money they need. But it, it really is crazy how high these numbers get because of China. Well, yeah. So we know what box office part two is going to be about. <laughs> Giving you a little preview. Yeah. The influence of the Chinese fucking box office. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to come up with like a bunch of examples of how influential the Chinese market is, especially and we'll use we'll use the same movies too we'll use the marvel movies and the star wars movies to show how much of a difference it can make because like i said i don't think any of the star wars movies have ever come out in china so i think that that can really kind of show the difference of what star wars could have been if it was out in china it's either see it's either they they aren't coming out in china or because since the originals didn't the newer ones aren't doing anything because the chinese people didn't grow up on them mm-hmm. i've kind of heard yeah. both now that i think about it that some of the star wars movies have gone to china and they don't do shit because the originals didn't come out in China. It's one of the two. Or it's a combination of both. We're going to find out. But yeah, these movies don't do shit in China because they didn't grow up on Star Wars. So they, like, you know, we're here, you know, Star Wars is what, in five years turns 50? And as yeah. far as China's concerned, Star Wars just turned like 10. <laughs> like, <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, that influence is not going to be... Uh, as felt this big there but like you said man even if we showed during that one a lot of these movies that are safety netted by china that is fascinating stuff man like you said world of warcraft and pacific rim just to name a few but man the safety net that china provides you can do crappy over here with your movie in the u.s box office and China can single-handedly make your movie a box office success. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to World of Warcraft right now. So it oh, domestically, okay. domestically, it made $47 million. Internationally, it made $391 million. <laughs> Jesus, man. My goodness. And I mean, so it, made, it just, that's like nothing it made in the U.S., and no, it's about to get worse. Two hundred and twenty-five million of that was China. God, man! <laughs> Verdict: Movie is a success. Yeah, it made whether four, you realized it, it or made, not. <laughs> it made four hundred and forty million worldwide. Over half of it was China alone. Like that is bonkers. Like its budget was one hundred and sixty million dollars. So you have to double it. So roughly three hundred and twenty million is what it needed to make. It was a hundred million short of being a profit from just China. <laughs> Jeez, dude. I mean, if China, if it didn't show in China, and it so if it didn't show in China, it would have made what two hundred and fifteen million worldwide. It would have been considered a bomb because it would have needed another hundred million to be a success. Man, that's just a tiny, like a tiny little taste of how influential the Chinese market can be that somehow a movie that cost $160 million to make 
can only make $47 million in the U.S. and be considered a worldwide success. So on that note, guys, thank you for listening to our episode of Simulslayers Podcast. Uh, check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook, which is Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, which is Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, don't get us wrong. We know this was probably a very weird episode to listen to for especially as long as it is of us just talking box office numbers. But I mean, it's just one of those things that me and Justin talked about one time and it just seemed incredibly fascinating to us. So we just wanted to see if it's incredibly fascinating to you. Um, let us know if you were surprised by any of these box office numbers uh, or anything like that. And like I said, the spreadsheet is in the description. So hopefully you were looking at that while we were, uh, while you were listening to it. If you weren't and you were like really kind of confused by shit, well, go ahead and then go look at it. Like I said, we're still going to do a Chinese box office one because yeah, it's going to be incredibly, like at least to us, it's incredibly fascinating uh, how influential the Chinese market can be when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And uh, we hope it is to you guys too. But just remember, guys, according to Justin, Moon Knight will break Avengers Endgame's box office. Uh, they say the best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want the money. That's what I want. 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 Do 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 do, buddy. I guess that would have worked at the beginning too. <laughs>